Today on the Matt Wall Show, good news for Bernie Sanders. Uh, he's a millionaire, it turns out. But is that bad news for his campaign? Also, uh, a white woman is v- being viciously attacked for committing the sin of opening a Chinese food restaurant. Uh, we'll talk about that. And uh, a woman wrote into Slate wondering why it is that she can't find any good men for one night stands. Now, uh, we'll try to get to the bottom of that mystery today as well on the Matt Wall Show. Well, it was a uh, it was a good good time at Baylor last night. Great turnout, uh, respectful audience, no outbursts or anything of that sort. Uh, a peaceful peaceful event. There um, that could be because the university, from from what I was told, they counter programmed the event. Um, they were holding something called a uh, I think it was a, a love dinner or a love feast or something like that, and which again, from what I was told, was was advertised as a an alternative to. Uh, my speech. So I think the idea was to try to siphon people away from what I was doing, but we still packed the house and, and it was great. Um, the only the only little strange thing was that uh, it was, you know, it's pretty hot down here in Waco, right? And uh, so you can imagine if you pack hundreds of people into a little room, um, it gets even hotter. Well, the uh, the AC wasn't running during my talk. So we were all just sweating, pouring sweat. And then strangely enough, um, as soon as the talk ended, the AC kicked on. And uh, so kind of weird. I mean, uh, maybe just a coincidence. I don't know. But a uh, little strange. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories, but who knows? Anyway, my next stop will be the uh, the Standing Up for Faith and Freedom um, conference at, at uh, YAF headquarters in Reston, Virginia. And then I'll be at Embry-Riddle University uh, in Daytona Beach on April 16th. So I hope to see you there. Now, uh, hopefully there'll be some AC uh, crank in there in, in Daytona Beach, though. Now, some um, a bunch of things to talk about. Let, let's start with this. Some news from Bernie Sanders. Uh, very, very exciting news from him. The lifetime avowed socialist uh, announced yesterday that he is a millionaire. So congratulations to Bernie Sanders on that. Uh, congrats on being a, a pretty exciting stuff. He's planning to finally release his taxes. Um, you know, you know how much grief he gave. Donald Trump over never releasing his taxes. Well, Sanders has yet to release his own, but he says he's going to do that in the next few days. But just to sort of pave the way and and uh, and let us know ahead of time, he said that he is a millionaire. He's not a billionaire though. He doesn't have. He said he doesn't have investments in Saudi Arabia. He's not a billionaire, but he is a millionaire. This was his exact quote. He said, um, "I wrote a best-selling book. If you write a best-selling book, you can be a millionaire too." That sounds like the title of a book. If you write a, you know, if you write a best-selling book, you could be a millionaire too. Well, um, what a what a change in messaging that is, right? For Bernie Sanders, uh, from from ranting about the the evil millionaires and billionaires uh, to now saying you can be a millionaire too. Um, that's it's very different. It's very, it's very it's a, that's quite a change. From millionaires and billionaires are evil to uh, now he's giving tips. He's giving financial tips on on how to become one. But of course, the whole point here is that his preferred policies, um, if his preferred policies were in place, uh, if his socialist policies were in place, if we were a socialist nation, then uh, you you could not become a millionaire by writing a best-selling book. You wouldn't have that option. So this is something that he was able to do because we live in a capitalist country. He capitalized on the fact that we are a capitalist 
nation um, and seem to have no problem doing that. Yet he still claims to be a socialist. So it's just like AOC saying, hey, uh, airplanes, uh, commercial air travels, destroying the country, destroying the world, and we're all going to be dead in 12 years. Yet she has no problem getting on, uh, getting on uh, planes and, and jet setting around, around the country. Now, I don't personally begrudge anyone you going on an airplane or uh, becoming a millionaire. I, you know, I, I think it's great that people are able to do that in this country. I think it's great that people are able to become millionaires. I think it's great that you're able to become a millionaire, not just by writing a book, but by writing a bad book. Uh, like the one that Bernie Sanders wrote. I think it's, 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 it's amazing that um, it's that easy. Like, you don't even have to be good at anything. You can still become a millionaire. Um, what exactly, like, Bernie Sanders, what exactly is his, what is he good at? What's his, what's his thing? What is his skill? What's his talent? Uh, I'm not sure that he has one. <clears throat> but he was still able to become a millionaire because of our free market system, uh, I think that's great, you know, as a as a capitalist myself. But Bernie Sanders is not a capitalist. So I would think that this would have to destroy his campaign. Right. I mean, uh, I don't see how he survives it. And it's pretty sad when the fact that you're financially successful is some sort of scandal that 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 uh, can can harm you politically. But it shouldn't be that way. And for most politicians, it wouldn't be. But that's the situation that he set up for himself. He's the one who's, um, who's been going around decrying wealth, and he's going to have to face the music. Someone said to me yesterday, I made this point, someone said, well, uh, you know, how can you criticize Bernie Sanders for, for being a millionaire when uh, Donald Trump is a billionaire, and you're not critical of that? Yeah, except that Donald Trump wasn't going around and saying that there's anything wrong with being wealthy. Quite the opposite, actually. So if you're a capitalist and you're and you're open and uh, proud of it, then fine, be as rich as you want. But if you're a socialist, you can't go getting rich on us, can you? So um, I think this is going to hurt him. But at least Bernie can go home and uh, console himself by rolling around in a huge pile of money. Okay, let's take a look at this real quick. Um, our friend Ilhan Omar was speaking to a Muslim rights group, and she uh, characterized 9-11 in kind of a bizarre way, in a troubling way. Watch this. CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose access to our civil liberties. Some people did something. That's how she categorizes 9-11. Some people did something. Um, that's pretty incredible. Th this woman is just so consistently vile. It's almost impressive. And I'll tell you this. If I were a Muslim, I would not be a fan of Ilhan Omar at all because she seems determined to fulfill every negative Muslim stereotype she possibly can. She's constantly, she's constantly complaining about Jews. Now she's downplaying 9-11. I mean, every stereotype she can think of, she tries to affirm. This, this, is, this is really incredible. This is, a, this, is, you know, this is not just some cable news pundit or something. This is a sitting member of Congress who says of 9-11... Some people did something. That is uh, horrifying. 
All right, a woman uh, by the name of Ariel uh, Haspel, 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 we'll just say Haspel, is under fire today. Um, she's under fire because she committed the sin of, get, get ready for this, because she did something pretty horrifying. Um, here's what she did, this woman. Uh, she, she opened a Chinese restaurant, and the restaurant is called Lucky Lee's. And this is a sin because, as I'm sure you've guessed it, um, Ariel is white. Gasp. Uh, and she sinned further by endeavoring to make clean and healthy Chinese food. She said in a post online that she that uh, a lot of American Chinese food is unhealthy, according to her. And she said it makes you feel, quote, bloated and icky. And so she wanted to um, make, make food that, that doesn't have that effect. Now, as someone who has, uh, you know, myself eaten probably eight or nine tons of Chinese food in my life, or even just in the past, say, two months, um, I can confirm that, yes, bloated and icky is, is, is probably a pretty accurate description of how you often feel after indulging in some, um, you know, uh, uh, General So's uh, chicken or Kung Pao from your local Chinese place. And that doesn't stop me, of course, I still eat it, but I, I, I think that this is sort of uh, undeniable that, that uh, American Chinese food has that effect. I, I can't speak to, you know, authentic Chinese food in China. I've never had it, but that's the case with American Chinese food. Uh, yet it's all, it is, it is very racist apparently for this uh, person to, to say that. And the fact that she's, the fact that she's white um, in, in opening this Chinese restaurant in the first place is racist. The name of the establishment, Lucky Lee's, is racist. Um, the fact that she accused other Chinese food of being unhealthy is, is racist. All of that is racist. So a bunch of leftists decided to get together and, uh, of course, destroy this woman's business. Because, hey, why not? Let, let's just try to tear down this woman and her business that she's been working for. You know, it, to, to, to open your own business takes a lot of time and effort and capital. Um, I'm sure this is a dream she's had for a long time. And she finally gets the place open. She's so excited. And, uh, but these people are saying, you know what, let's just, let's just, let's just tear it apart. You know, let's just, we'll, we'll just destroy it because, because uh, hey, we, we got nothing better to do. Um, ruin her livelihood, you know, uh, because, because we're vile, ridiculous idiots. So the backlash seems to have started with, uh, let me see if I can pull up. There were a couple of tweets that seemed to have started this whole thing. Uh, one from Lanya Olmsted, who said, uh, who tweeted a picture of, of Ariel and, and said, wow, wow, wow. This white woman pictured just opened a clean Chinese food restaurant in NYC called Lucky Lee's. Not only is she using Chinese food stereotypes slash naming, she is shaming traditional Chinese food cooking with MSG, grease, and starch. Um, and then one of the other early tweets came from someone named Mackenzie. says, oh, I cannot with Lucky Lee's. This new clean Chinese restaurant that some white wellness blogger just opened in New York her blog talks about how Chinese food is usually doused in brown sauces and makes your eyes puffy. Lady, what? Uh, and just a lot of a lot of stuff like that. Um, a lot of people who who simply cannot. They just cannot. Well, you know what? If you cannot, then then leave the woman alone. You don't have to go to the restaurant if you don't like it, right? Uh, and again, is she wrong about what she's saying? American Chinese food is doused in brown sauces. It is. Uh, it, I mean, I don't know if it makes my eyes puffy, but what are we now pretending that it's that it's healthy or something like that? And then from there, a bunch of morons flooded her Yelp page, uh, posted 
negative reviews of her restaurant, even though these people had, of course, never actually been to the restaurant. So they were just lying. Um, and then other websites jumped on the dog pile. The site uh, eater.com, a food site, posted an article with a headline claiming in the headline that the restaurant is, is drawing, quote, swift backlash for, quote, racist language that it used. That was in the headline. It wasn't, it wasn't, didn't say alleged racist language or some people claimed, ra- no, just racist language. Well, what racist language? Where's the racist language? You're telling me that if you, if you describe Chinese food in a negative way, that that's racist, racist to the food? Who are you being racist against? Accusing a certain kind of fast food of being unhealthy is not racist. Is it racist if I say that Taco Bell oftentimes causes diarrhea? Well, it does. We all know that. Do we have to pretend now that Taco Bell, so, so it says anti-Hispanic if we, uh, if we don't, uh, you know, if we, if we point out the, um, some of the side effects of eating Taco Bell? This is just so excessively stupid. Um, and not just stupid, but, but so callous and cruel and capricious, arbitrarily trying to ruin this woman's life for no reason. Uh, she didn't do anything wrong. She just opened a restaurant, and, and that's all she did. And uh, by the way, people are complaining that the name Lucky Lee's is racist because Lee is a typical Chinese name. Well, the woman's husband, who is also the chef, his name is Lee. So uh, the, the restaurant, so I guess his, his parents are racist for calling him Lee. Uh, oh, man. Uh, th- this kind of thing, it, 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 it makes me so angry because you're, you're going after some random person. It's not like you're attacking a public figure, okay? It's not like you're, for the nine millionth time, taking Donald Trump out of context and accusing him of racism. Well, he's the president, he can take it, but uh, it's, it's, just some, it's just a person who, who's excited to open a chain. This wasn't any conspiracy to try to, uh, you know to try to be racist against Chinese people. This was, she just wanted to open a restaurant. That's all. And, and for all the talk that we hear from liberals about, Hey, you know, live and let live and, and let people live their own lives. Well, as we've seen time and time again, uh, they certainly will not take their own advice on that score. And you know what? There is of course a huge double standard here because we all know that if Ariel was herself, let's say, an Asian woman opening a pizza restaurant, um, and uh, and the pizza restaurant's name was uh, was Lucky Lou's or something like that, um, well, nobody would criticize. Would she be getting? Would an Asian person who opened a pizza restaurant get in trouble for appropriating Italian culture? No, that would never happen. Would, uh, would, you know, an Indian person opening a, a burger joint get in trouble for, you know, appropriating Americana or whatever? No. Opening a barbecue joint? No. That would never, ever happen. You would never see that happening. So if you are anything, if you're anything but white, you can open any kind of restaurant you want, any kind of food you want. And uh, people will, and in fact, if you're, you know, if you, if you are non-white opening an Italian restaurant, people would be thrilled. They would say, oh, this is great. It's a, you know, diversity and everything. But if you're white, no, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to uh, open 
restaurants of, of uh, you know, typically ethnic food. It's, it's simply absurd. And food is one of those things that cultures share and it, it changes and people have their own take on it and everything. Oh, all right. I just got to move on from that. Um, but if you, by the way, if you, if you happen to, to be in New York, uh, why don't you go by Lucky Lee's and, uh, and give them your support? I, I hope that this, I hope this woman makes, you know, $10 million this year, just, just out of spite for these idiots. All right, let's check in with Slate. Uh, Slate always has intellectually ga- engaging uh, content, of course. And yesterday in Slate's advice column section, um, a woman wrote in with an interesting question. And I'm going to, let me see if I can pull this up here. I'm going to read the, the question um, that she wrote to Slate. I, I just think this, this is very, it's a very revealing kind of question. And, uh, and the answer is to, so this is the question to Slate. It says, um, I'm a single woman in her early 30s. I'm attractive and have never had issues attracting a partner. But after a series of disappointing relationships, each around a year, I'm just not in the mood to engage emotionally with men right now. The thing is, I have a high sex drive, and I can't fully satisfy myself on my own. The cliche is that this should be an easy problem to fix. Plenty of men uh, want to have sex with a woman with no strings, right? Well, here are my limitations. In the past, when I've had hookup buddies, I like them, but it never really is just sex. We inevitably get to know each other better, and then uh, I end up getting entangled with him, whether I want to or not. I also am not really into sex parties or the poly scene. Um... So I'm not really sure how to proceed. I've identified a a few bars in my town that are good for this sort of thing, but that is hit or miss uh, for finding an attractive guy. When I tell my gay friends about this, they talk about how easy it is to find what they want on Grindr and the like, and I'm honestly jealous. Uh, Tinder and similar apps for straight people are full of creeps who have no game, and I'm afraid if I'm upfront about what I want, I'll attract even more of that type. What's a straight girl who just wants good, unattached sex to do? So the, um, this is a woman who wants to find a, a good guy, a non-creep. That's what she's looking for. She wants a non-creep, a good guy, decent guy, who has game to, whatever that means, um, but she just, just for sex. She's just, so she's looking for a good guy who will just use her for sex. And then, and then comes the, the response from Slate. Uh, it says, it's true, even when both parties are completely uninterested in anything serious or romantic, you can still eventually end up in the bath products aisle together debating whether your connection means anything and having moments of odd, sticky feelings towards each other. In your case, it sounds like at least some of the entanglement is coming from your end. So put reminders in your phone. Make the guys have names like Chris, Nothing Serious Johnson, or... Uh, Joe, this is just sex beady. Whatever will underscore the boundaries you've set and need to respect for yourself, uh, in addition to expecting the other guys to adhere to. Hopefully that'll make it easier to keep a good casual connection going without tipping into what you don't want. Uh, and then it goes on from there. Okay, so uh, a, a couple of observations here. Number one, you know, if, if you're looking for good guys, for, for non-creeps, well, the, the problem here is going to be that good guys aren't looking to use women for sex. That, that's, it, it is precisely the creeps who you're going to be able to pick up at bars who are, have, have no emotional attachment and are not interested in anything like that. 
Uh, they're just looking for sex, and then they're going to be gone. So it, it could be that if you want a, a good man, um, then maybe you need to be a better person yourself. See, this is the advice that I would give if she, if she had asked me. Uh, it, it could be that you yourself are not a very good person, uh, it seems like. And so that's why you attract creeps. You, you see, you're attracting creeps because you're a creep. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I know that we, when we talk about people being creeps, we, we, almost, we always refer to men that way. It's, it's men are the only creeps. Well, there are a lot of men who are creeps, but then there are women who are creeps too. And based on that, based on that question, uh, you're a creep. That's just, that's just weird and gross and creepy. So you're getting exactly the kind of guy you deserve. Uh, number two, what you find in, in the question and then in the answer um, was this, so much effort, right, to get around the, the emotional attachments that you naturally feel um, towards someone who you're in a sexual relationship with. And so the, the answer that this person is given is, well, here's some tips on, uh, on how to, you know, get, get around those emotional attachments. Well, did it ever occur to you, perhaps, that uh, those natural, that those emotional attachments are natural? Um, because we're human beings, we're not animals. And, you know, maybe if you discover that you can't help but feel some sort of emotional attachment to the people that you have sexual relationships with, maybe that would, maybe that should tell you something about the nature of a sexual act. That, you know, it's, it's not just like shaking somebody's hand. It's not just like playing video games with somebody, right? It, it, it's more than a recreational activity because you could shake someone's hand and feel no, no emotional attachment. You can play video games with them, uh, right? You could sit and you could watch a movie with them. You could do all those things and feel no emotional attachment. But with the sexual act, maybe there's something about it that's different than that. Maybe it is a naturally um, intimate and serious personal thing. And so maybe that should tell you that the context, um, you know, there is an appropriate context for the sexual act. And that context is not just finding someone at a bar for one night. I think that could be the source of your problem. And I will say only as a follow-up, um, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm not looking to rub this into the, the faces of people who are still single, but when I read stuff like this, I continue to be so happy that I'm married. I am so, I, I'm so happy that I'm not on the dating scene dealing with stuff like this and people like that. Um, it, it, it really is so much better being married. Uh, and again, if you want to get married and you're trying to, and you haven't been able to yet, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad because it'll happen. You know, you, if, if you're looking for marriage and, and you're serious about it, you're serious about a relationship, eventually it will happen. Um, that's the good news. And it is something, look, it's just, it's just so much better than this. It's so much more secure, so much happier. Uh, you know, as a married person, I don't have to, whatever the hell she's talking about there, I don't have to worry about that. All of these things you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about creeps or anything like that because you've got somebody, you're in a secure relationship, and um, you know there are challenges in a marriage, but it's, it's, it is, I'm telling you, it is so, so, so much better than that. It's so much better. Um, I highly recommend it. I couldn't recommend it enough. All right. Um, 
Let's go check out some emails. Uh, MattWalshShow at gmail.com. MattWalshShow at gmail.com. This is from Simon says, hey, Matt, what are your opinions on ghosts? Do you think they exist? Does having people's, uh, do, do, do having people's souls stick around on earth after death and often become malicious make sense theologically? Are what people take for ghosts just demons? From a religious standpoint, I've been on both sides of the issue throughout my life. What do you think? Well, Simon, uh, no, I don't think, I don't believe in ghosts. Um, it doesn't make sense theologically at all that you would have people who die and uh, just hang around on earth. Um, certainly from a biblical standpoint, there's, there's, there's no, no precedent for that. Uh, you die and, and, and you're going somewhere, somewhere but you're not going to be wandering around on earth. I, I, I do think that sometimes you could have demonic activity that's um, confused for ghostly activity, however. All right, this is from, who is this from? Helen says, hiya, Matt. I've been reading your work since you were a humble alpaca groomer. It's okay. Here, <laughs> thanks. Um, it's, uh, here, here's my question. Would you consider aborted babies to be born? I've always thought of them as being born in the technical sense because their bodies leave the bodies of their mothers. Obvious, no. However, it seems like I hear both pro-life and pro-choice people talking about aborted babies as though they were never born. For example, pro-choicers are, uh, often accuse us of being merely pro-birth and pro-lifers often lament that these babies are never born, etc., uh, could you please offer some clarification on these semantics? I'm curious to hear your thoughts because I believe the language we use in regard to this topic is incredibly important, especially when our offspring are so tiny that people seem to have no trouble convincing themselves um, that they do not exist. Well, uh, no, I don't think we can say that they're born. Uh, I think born implies that the child is alive. Um, so I don't think born is true, but I agree that the language is important. And I agree that oftentimes pro-abortion people will want to talk about these babies uh, like they never existed at all, right? And that's one of the, one of the lies that the abortion clinic tells pregnant, pregnant mothers. That, well, you could just get rid of this pregnancy and uh, be, a, be a mother some other time in the future. Now's not a good time to be a mother. You don't have to be a mother now. Uh, you could be a mother in the future. Well, no, um, because a woman who gets an abortion, well, a, a woman who is pregnant is a mother. The moment you become pregnant, you're a mother. So she's a mother now. There's no, there's no putting that genie back in the bottle. And if she gets an abortion, she's not going to go back to being just a, a childless woman. She will now be the, the mother of a dead child. So in that sense, you're right, I think. Um, in, in, in a certain sense, there is a kind of birth that occurs really upon conception, where upon conception, um, you, you have three lives that are created. You have the, the life of the child, but then you have the mother who kind of turns in, transforms now um, into a, in, in, you, you have a, from a woman into a mother. So um, and then you have the, the man who, who goes from being a man to a father. And that's a, that's a very real transformation that happens uh, upon conception in that moment. And if you get an abortion, the, the, the terrible, tragic fact is that, no, you're, you're, not, you, you, you can't, you're not reversing the clock. You're not undoing anything. You're now the, the parents of a dead child. And um, 
that, of course, is not the message that they're going to hear from the abortion clinics. All right, this is from James, says, Hi, Matt. Uh, my wife and I have three kids, ages three, two, and three months old. We also have a dog. The kids love to go on walks around our neighborhood, but with the newborn, it requires one of us to push a stroller and hold a toddler's hand while the other holds the dog's leash with the other hand. Uh, this would be very dangerous and nearly impossible without kid leashes. Uh, ours are more like handcuffs than leashes, though. One padded cuff goes on the, pa the, par the patient, the parent's wrist, the other on the child's separated by three feet of plastic-coated, coiled steel wire. We don't drag our kids behind us on the leashes. They're more of a backup for when they let go of your hand or try to make a run for the street. Uh, I've got some strange looks with them, but I think it gives my toddlers a sense of independence and adventure that they wouldn't have otherwise if they were strapped into a double stroller. stroller love the show. Uh, yeah, you know, this is why uh, we talked about child leashes briefly on the show yesterday. And I don't use them myself. I admit that as a as a non-parent, I used to be very judgmental of the, ch of the people who use child leashes, but now that I have kids, I understand it. Um, makes sense. It's a practical thing. And you're right. I mean, if, if there's nothing wrong with strapping a kid into a stroller and carting them around, uh, then what's wrong with, you know, having them tethered that way? I don't, I don't really see much of a difference, honestly. Um, let's see. This is from Grayson says, uh, I listened to your episode recently on body positivity, and I think that one of the biggest things wrong with the movement is that they do not think all bodies should be positive. I'm a college kid who's in love with fitness, and I've said that I'm so body positive, I don't let myself get unhealthy and overweight, and I got excoriated in a college class for body shaming. People need to understand that health is a definite range, and the vast majority of people are sedentary and fat. Uh, harsh but true, probably. However, true body positivity is not accepting gluttony and eating themselves to an early grave, but rather taking care of yourself by eating well and exercising regularly. On another note, the BMI calculator is a very poor way to judge body fatness uh, in, in athletes, young adults, and the elderly, because muscles uh, are denser than fat, and someone like you who has more muscle than average is seen as overweight in the scale, when in reality you're perfectly healthy. I am a six-foot male at about 180 pounds, and my BMI is still registered as overweight. That's because my body fat percentage is about 11%, which means I carry lots of muscle mass with little ma uh, fat mass, thereby skewing the scale. Um, well, yeah, and I, of course I agree that, that, uh, that it's not body shaming to encourage people to be healthy and to eat healthy. Uh, that, that, of course, is absurd. I do think it's also true. And we need to acknowledge that um, there are different body types and there are some people who just from birth are kind of destined to, to struggle more with, with, with you know, their weight, um, who are going to have a much harder time getting into shape. And certainly are going to have a much harder time because of their body type, their body shape, going to have a harder time looking like they're in shape. Um, and I also recognize that for me, like I, I've always had a, a very high metabolism, and uh, and so I can't take credit for the fact that I'm not. You know, if I had maybe a normal metabolism, I I may very well be obese right now because I I don't have a very healthy diet, and I basically eat whatever I want, and um, so I can't. You know, I have to I have to recognize that it's a little bit. Some of us have advantages in that area that, that are not that are just biological. I mean, we didn't we didn't. Uh, we didn't do anything to earn them. It's just, that's just how it is. Um, and there are also people who, you know, are going to struggle all the more because of, of, of maybe they're of injury. And so they're not able to exercise as much. And then also women, once they start having babies, um, that 
is, a, is going to be an extra challenge. And um, so all of these things, all these things need to be acknowledged. And we can't expect everyone to be a bodybuilder. I'm not a bodybuilder, right? We can't expect that of everyone. Not everyone's supposed to be a bodybuilder or a, or a, you know, a, a fitness guru or a runway model. All of that is true. However, you know, we could acknowledge that without concluding that it's perfectly fine and acceptable and beautiful and wonderful to be morbidly obese. So as you point out, there is a, there's a, there's a, a spectrum. There's a scale of what is you know, considered healthy and normal. And maybe it's a, it's a wider scale than people thought for a long time. But definitely morbid obesity is, not in, you know, is, is way on the unhealthy end of that spectrum. And so we should be able to say that. Um, without being accused of body shaming. All right, finally, this is from Heidi says, uh, hey, Matt, I have a scenario for you, and it's one that really happened. My sister-in-law's sister is a social worker at a high school. She was working with a girl who found out she was pregnant. A few months down the road, this girl also found out that she had brain cancer. Doctors told her that she needed to undergo chemo and radiation to kill the cancerous tumor, but in doing that, it would also kill her baby. Her parents, who are very religious, decided not to give their daughter the chemo, their daughter eventually passed away a few months down the road. The baby survived. Uh, when I heard this story, I struggled with it. I struggled with it because I'm pro-life, but I was trying to put myself in the shoes of those parents. And I can't imagine denying my daughter cancer treatment, knowing that if she didn't get it, it would kill her. Uh, I should note that at the time when the daughter would have had to start the treatment, she was too early in her pregnancy to deliver. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Well, that's a, just a terrible case across the board. Um, but as I've, really terrible case, um, but as I've said before, you know, these are the sorts of cases that pro-abortion people will often use to, to, to prove, supposedly, that sometimes abortion is medically necessary. But that is not the case. Uh, these sorts of cases, as horrible as they are, are irrelevant to the abortion discussion. Because if a woman... Uh, is pregnant and finds out that she has an aggressive form of cancer and needs to get chemo, uh, it, it would not be abortion for her to get the, get the chemotherapy. Even if it's known that the baby's probably going to die, that is not abortion. Abortion is the direct, intentional, purposeful killing of the unborn child, where you take an action for the sake of killing the child. That's abortion. Now, doing something to save the mother that you know will, will probably have the effect, unfortunately, tragically, of killing the baby, that is not abortion. That's the principle of double effect, and it, and it, it's a, it, it could be a perfectly ethical thing to do. Um, where you are doing something, you're doing a good thing with good intentions, even though it may have also a, a very terrible negative side effect. And again, that, that can be a perfectly ethical action. So it is not the case that pro-lifers say, at least I certainly wouldn't say, that a woman who has, finds out she has cancer while she's pregnant is, is required to just die of cancer and not get it treated. I don't think that at all. And, um, you know, it's, it's impossible to know what you would do in these situations until you're in them. But I, I can tell you personally, if that was my wife, um, I would be urging her strongly to get the chemo. And if that was my child, if that was my daughter, uh, you better believe she's getting the chemo. Um, 
Does that mean that I'm not pro-life? Does that mean that I'm denying the, the, the personhood of the child? No, not at all. This is just a, a, a very, this really is just a difficult choice that you have to make in order to save somebody's life. And it does not involve denying the personhood of the child at all. It's a, it's a trad, you mourn the fact that the child may not survive the treatment. So we, the way that people talk about abortion, they say, oh, it's a difficult choice you have to make. Usually, no, it's not. This is, this is with abortion, you're directly killing a, an innocent child. And uh, no, that's not, just, that's not a difficult choice. That's just the wrong choice. This kind of situation that you're talking about here, this really is a difficult choice. Where abortion has nothing to do with it, doesn't factor in. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of similar to um, these hypotheticals that I've talked about before uh, that, you know, somebody will say, well, uh, what if you're in a, a building and it's on fire and uh, there's, a, there's a two-year-old child there, and, but then there's also a, a bunch of frozen embryos and, and you can only save one. I mean, who are you going to save? Are you going to save the, the, the embryos or are you going to save the child? And, uh, of course, everybody would, would, would save the two-year-old child, right? Um, and so that's supposed to prove that we don't really consider those embryos to be human, but not, that's not the case at all. You're just in a situation where you have to make that kind of horrible choice. It's like if, if it was my wife uh, in, the, in the burning building and some other woman who I, who's, who's not my wife, I would save my wife in a heartbeat. Does that mean I'm denying the personhood of the other woman? Does that no? Does that mean that I want her to die? No. Does that mean I'm killing the other woman? No. It just means that I'm in a situation where I can only save one. And so I have to make that choice. And the fact that the other one dies is not my fault. It, I didn't kill them. It's not me. I didn't do it. It's, it's, it's not murder, right? That's what abortion is murder. So we could go all day with these kind of hypotheticals. You, got, you, have, you have two people hanging off a cliff. You've got your child and, and someone else's child. You can only save one. Who are you going to save? Well, you're going to save your child, right? Um, so those are the hypotheticals. This is a more real-world situation. And look, I, I can't judge. I, I don't know the situation. Um, I don't know the particulars of it. So I'm not going to make any judgments or anything like that. I'm just saying, based on what you've told me, um, if it were me, uh, my, my daughter's getting the chemo, for sure, uh, there. And uh, I wouldn't have to compromise my pro-life beliefs at all in, uh, in, in making that choice. All right, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Godspeed. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. After years and years of vilifying millionaires, socialist gadfly Bernie Sanders prepares finally to release his tax returns. And guess what? He's a millionaire. We will analyze why socialists always seem so interested in accumulating wealth. Check it out at dailywire.com.